Hi, my name is Roland Vive, and I'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast. Um, today's topic will be a continuation of some of the things that we talked about in the last podcast, which deal mainly with questions that people have when they're starting up a business. Um, when you're starting off on your own and you're starting up going to be self-employed, um, there's literally dozens of questions and uh, most people just don't know where to start. So in the previous episode, we talked about a few general topics, those being, um, you know, the type of business structure that you can use. We talked about uh, operating under a sole proprietorship versus a corporation. We talked about general ways that you could compensate yourself, either salary or dividends. And we talked in general about some of the, the overriding concepts that you need to apply to figure out whether or not an expense is deductible and what exactly it is that you can you can deduct uh, against your self-employed income. So we're going to continue with that, I mean, not those topics, but just generally in the area of uh, more questions that people have. So today we're going to talk about three different topics, but um, again, uh, really important questions that, that people have when they're first starting off. So we're going to talk about the HST and how that works just in general terms. Um, some of the record-keeping requirements that you need to maintain now that you're self-employed, as well as, um, you know, some of the filing deadlines that you might face. So, again, you know, you can, so we'll start on those topics. You can, you can again, carry out your business as a sole proprietor or as a corporation. Um, some of these topics today are going to be um, common to both, but I'll focus more on carrying on business through a corporation because, in the end, as your business gets bigger, that tends to be the, the form of business that most people gravitate to. So the HST, let's talk about that. Um, so it, the rate varies from province to province, but you know the system more or less works the same regardless of where you are. Um, the amount, is essentially, the question first is, what do I have to do? Do I have to register for the HST if I've got this business here? Um, in general terms, there's a there's a threshold of thirty thousand dollars. So, if your revenues from your self-employed income are greater than thirty thousand dollars, and it's not really you know it's misunderstood. It's not really thirty thousand in any one particular year. It's um, thirty thousand dollars over the previous twelve month period. So, let's say for example you've got um, your business has a calendar year end. So you've done twenty thousand dollars of business in the you know, January to December 2019 period. So you're under the threshold and you also have $20,000 of revenue in the January to uh, January 1st, uh, 2020 to December 31st, 2020. So, um, you know, in each particular year, you might only have $20,000 of revenue in each reporting period. But in a 12-month period, you've exceeded that $30,000 threshold. So so once you once you register, sorry, once you exceed that revenue threshold, um, you really have no choice. You have to register for the HST, unless the services that you provide are considered to be exempt services. And you know most things are not exempt. Uh, certain activities are you know are exempt. So if you're providing medical services, if you're a doctor, for example. Um, and you generate revenues from from that, you're not subject to HST. But for, for all intents and purposes, most people and most activities that you're carrying out are going to be subject to the HST. So first thing to consider is, you know, do I register for the HST or not? Um, well, you may have no choice. You, uh, if you're exceeding that threshold, then you, you, you must register for it. So how, do, how does the HST work? Um, so I'm, again, I'm going to assume that you're, the services you're providing are not exempt, and they are the type of uh, services and revenues that do 
attract the the HST. So when you when you send out an uh, an invoice or a bill to one of your customers or clients, let's say for argument's sake it's a hundred dollars for the services you provide or the goods that you've sold. Um, that hundred dollars belongs to you, but the invoice is for a hundred dollars and there's 13% in Ontario. So the bill that they get is $113. And, and they get that bill and they pay you. So you collect $113. $100 belongs to you for the work you've done. And 13, you receive it, but $13 doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the government of Canada. So you, you are the custodian of, of that money. Then you kind of look at all your expenses that you've incurred, and let's say you've got accounting fees, you've got office supplies, so um, you've paid $50 worth of actual expenses, and of course you paid 13% HST on those, so now you've, um, you know, you've got $50 of expenses, but you've got $6.50 of HST that you've paid on those expenses. So at the end of your HST filing period, you add up all of the HST you collected, in this case $13 from your customers, and you've paid $6.50 on your expenses. So you net those out and you write a check to the government for the net amount. So in general terms, you collect HST, you hold it on behalf of the government, you pay HST on your expenses, and you net those two off, and that's how it works. It creates a whole lot of record keeping for you. Um, you essentially have to track, you should track and need to track the HST that you've paid on all of your expenses. So, you know, when you park somewhere and you pay $3 for parking, there's HST embedded in that. Um, so it does create a fairly onerous record keeping requirement because, again, you, you just don't want to ignore that. If you're paying HST, then you can use that, uh, if you're paying HST on your expenses, you can use that to offset the amount that you get to, that you need to re remit to the government. So tracking the HST that you pay on your expenses is a really important thing to do. But again, just because you know you might have expenses from many different sources, tracking it becomes quite onerous. So um, to help with that regard, in that regard, there there's something called the quick method or simplified method, and we might use those terms interchangeably. And what that does, um, it allows you to avoid having to track the HST that you've paid on your expenses. So again, when you invoice your clients, um, you're again you're selling them using that example. You're still sending them an invoice for $100. They're paying you $13. So you hold on to that $13 of, of HST that uh, would otherwise go to the government. Now instead of subtracting all of the HST on your expenses, there is a formula, and it will vary depending on the nature of your business. But essentially, you know, you collect 13%, you hold on to a percentage of that, and you remit the, that difference. So, for example, you might only remit 8.8% of the 13% that you collected, and the, the balance uh, you get to keep. And it's intended, the amount that you get to keep is intended to be a proxy for any HST that you've you might otherwise have paid on your expenses and that you know those ratios will vary how much you get to keep and how much you have to remit will vary depending on the industry you're in so the advantage of that of course there's there's a couple of them one of them is that it's simple um, and it's quick hence the name um, simplified or quick method and um, you know it, it means that you don't have to necessarily track all of the HST you paid on your expenses um, and then the other advantage of it is that the allowance, that portion which you're allowed to keep um, of the 13% from your customers, 
is actually fairly generous. Um, for most businesses, particularly small businesses, where there's perhaps only one or two people involved, your, your expense structure may be fairly lean. So that amount that you're allowed to keep under the simplified method may actually be higher than w the expenses that the HSD that you would actually pay if you were to, to truly track it. So not only is it simpler, it, it may actually end up, you know, creating a little bit of extra cash flow and, and, uh, and may, you know, it helps out. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, anything that's kept in your pocket, especially in the early days of, of uh, running a business is worth it. So simple, quick, and perhaps even a bit of a moneymaker. So that, that, in general terms, is how the HST works. There's a whole uh, other bunch of complexities, obviously. Um, the decision whether or not you, you use the simplified or quick method is not a slam dunk. I think it's something you should consult um, a tax advisor or accountant uh, before you make that decision. If you do decide that your, your business is such that you're going to use the simplified quick method um, because it's easy and it saves you money, then um, it's an election that needs to be made, so you can't just assume it's going to be like that. Um, you have to actually opt into that type of reporting. And um, what works for you in one particular year may not be, uh, be good for you in year two or three. So it's the kind of decision that you need to revisit every year um, and if it makes sense, if it no longer makes sense for you to to be on that simplified method, then you need to revoke that election. So definitely a discussion you have up front. You know, aside from trying to figure out how the HST works, the decision to go simplified or quick method is uh, is something that you should consider. Um, and as I was kind of alluding to earlier, that's just really scratching the surface of the HST. Um, you know, selling between provinces and which rate to collect whether you collect the Ontario rate or the Alberta rate um, is something that requires further discussion. And, you know, if you're selling to out-of-country customers, then, um, you know, you don't collect any HST, provided you're actually providing the services outside the country. And if you're shipping goods, that's easy to determine. If you're selling your services and your time, it may not be so clear. But again, just a general discussion, that's how the HST works. And be aware of the potential applicability of the simplified or quick method when you're, when you're setting your HST account up. Um, the next topic really um, is a broad one. You know, what sort of, record, what sort of records do I need to keep? Um, and what is an acceptable standard to meet? So, um, again, we're just going to apply general concepts. The, the record-keeping uh, requirements are basically the onus is on you as a business owner to support everything that you report on a tax return. So um, you need to, first of all, I guess it's, it's, a, it's a healthy habit if you're a proprietor to set up a separate bank account for your activity that you're going to run all your business activities through. Um, if you're operating through a corporate form, then it's, uh, it's a requirement. The corporation is distinct from you, and um, you need to have separate banking records. You can't really co-mingle um, any personal banking activity with corporate activity. We need to do, we really do need to keep a, a pretty clear delineation between the two. So again, um, good, cor good separate bank account. Um, good habits to get into. <laughs> Um, you know, you'd want to make sure that all business activity is um, is run through that corporate account that you've got. You can't, if you get paid by customers and you deposit it into your personal account, um, you know, that that's a big no-no. I mean, it really does make it difficult um, to 
to compile your your results, your your profit and loss statement at the end of the year if your revenues and expenses are are scattered all over the place. So keep keep corporate bank accounts at least one. Some people use multiple accounts, but it's separate from you, the individual, and run as much activity through that bank account as possible. And and uh, by all means, don't commingle any banking activity between you and your corporation. They they need to be separate. What we need to do in terms of keeping receipts, we need to be able to justify our expenses. So if you've, um, you know, you've purchased office supplies, it's not good enough to just show the Interact statement, uh, you know, show your bank statement and say, you know, here I paid Interact and there's, there's $100 of office supplies that I got at the store. You need to keep the underlying receipt. And the, the key here is just to keep all of these documents, whether they're in paper form or electronic form, so that when you report all of your expenses at the end of the year, you're able to substantiate absolutely everything. You know, there's a clear audit trail from, um, you know, an expense item on a tax return, tracing it back to a bank statement and uh, to a supporting receipt. So how you do that is entirely up to you. There's no requisite way of doing it other than, you know, make sure you've got the records, that you've, you keep them for a period of four years, and that, you know, so a line item on a, on a visa statement or a bank statement without the actual underlying receipt from uh, from the store is uh, is just not going to be good. You got to keep those receipts. A lot of purchases are made online, um, so you know when you do buy any kind of software or something online, keep the uh, keep the confirmation, um, print out a record uh, of that online purchase, and um, store it away. How you store things, again, it will all depend on the level of activity that you've got in your business. A lot of people simply will have an accordion folder or some sort of file folder, and all of the expenses for that particular month will go into that folder, and uh, they tuck it away. And, um, you know, that's not a bad way of doing things if the volume of transactions in your business is low. Um, You don't really need anything more sophisticated than that. At some point, you're going to have to take those records and you're going to have to put them into some sort of format to um, to actually produce an income statement. An income statement is essentially, um, you know, a, a calculation of your revenues minus your expenses, and to, to give you your your net income at the end of it that you pay tax on. So it could be as simple as a spreadsheet showing, you know, with multiple columns across that spreadsheet saying, you know, here's my advertising expenses, here's my computer expenses. Um, and just tracking in that way. There are lots of software packages that are fairly robust, even those that are entry level uh, are pretty good at, at doing that. Um, or you can simply just use a spreadsheet and, and track it yourself. Um, again, either method is good as long as you use it properly. The concern I have for most people who are starting up a business, and um, it's a great idea to get a, a, a software package to track it, but and, and these packages, are, like I said, are very robust and they're aimed at, they're, they're designed in such a way that you don't have to be a professional accountant and know your debits and credits to, to use them, but they need to a certain level of diligence and um, attention to detail. So if you use a software package to track your, your activities, but you, you only capture 95% of them, um, you know, that the, the 5% that you're missing are going to create lot of headaches down the road so whichever way you you whatever method you use to track your expenses um, you should be you should stick to it Um, good habits um, would be to do it on a fairly regular basis if you kind of do it at the end of your year um, 
you're going to be rushed. You're going to have far too much volume to deal with. And you may not actually remember what certain transactions were. Uh, so, you know, again, doing it, pick a method, stick with it, um, do it properly, but mostly do it on a timely basis, I think are probably good habits to, to get into. When you're reporting your income, we're going to, we has to, it has to be done on what we call an accrual basis. So accrual accounting basically means um, revenues and expenses go into the period in which they were incurred and not when they were paid. So let's take a simple example where uh, you're a consultant and you're going to have a December 31st year end. So 2019, for example, would be your first year and you've got a December 31st, 2019 year end. So you do work all through the month of December. You send an invoice to your client at the end of the month um, for $1,000, let's say, plus HST. So you send them an invoice for $1,130 and they're good customers and they pay you early in the new year. So January 2020, you get a check for your services plus the HST. So although the cash came in 2020, the work was done in 2019. So under an accrual basis of accounting, that is income that must be reported for income tax purposes uh, in 2019. So you can't take a shortcut. You can't only report transactions as the cash comes in or the cash goes out. It has to be done on an accrual basis, which means that transactions close to your year end, um, you have to really make sure that they're in the proper period. And that doesn't apply just to the revenue side of things. It applies to the expense side of things. So if you... Um, you know, if you order some order, order some supplies, they arrive in the month of December, you put them on your credit card, and you don't pay that credit card until 2020, um, the expense was incurred, the supplies were received in 2019, so that's a 2019 expense. So this accrual account, accounting method of, of putting the revenues uh, in the right period, not when they were paid, also applies to the expense side of things. So that's a really brief overview of... of um, you know, some of your record-keeping requirements. But um, I think if you were to summarize them in a few words, uh, be organized. Uh, you know yourself better than anyone, so pick a method that you know you can stick to. Uh, don't be overly ambitious and choose an accounting package if you're not going to stick with it. And and really just be a pack rat. Um, there's nothing wrong with keeping uh, erring on the side of keeping too many documents. Again, what we're trying to avoid is, is uh, a subsequent audit and you not being able to prove that these expenses were legitimate. doesn't mean just because they're legitimate doesn't mean that they'll be accepted. There has to be some sort of documentary proof. So um, with those principles in mind, I think, you know, that's how you would approach this. Um, uh, and habits, good habits uh, will serve you well. I know when you're starting a business, there's many things to think about. And, and the more mundane things about what to keep uh, and how to to save my receipts probably is not top of mind, but I think it's a good habit to get into from the very beginning. So um, let's talk about filing deadlines. So there are a whole bunch of deadlines that you have to be aware of. Um, so I'm going to use the example where someone incorporates their business. So um, it might be slightly different if you're unincorporated, but let, let's deal with the corporate form of business. So you, you have a corporate year end. Um, that is the period in which you choose to report um, your income. Once you settle on that, in the first year of business, you can choose almost any year end you want. Um, but once you do, you need to stick with it from year to year. Um, so um, let's say you were to incorporate your business on July 
uh, well, July 1st is a holiday, let's say June 1st. So you're, you set up your business, you file your articles of incorporation, and now you've got your company, and it started on, on June 1st of 2019. You can extend your first year end up to 53 weeks, which means you can go from June 1st, 2019, and you can extend it to as far as June 7th, uh, 2020. Um, I think in a general sense, you'd probably want to have something that ends on a month because all of your bank statements and other statements would be driven uh, or be reported on a monthly basis. So I'm not a big fan of having intra-month year ends, but in that case, you know, June 1st to May 31st uh, is an acceptable reporting period. Uh, and once you file that first year end, let's say with May 31st in that example, you have to stick with it. So um, now you've got a May 31st year end, congratulations. Um, here's what you have to file. So you have to file a corporate tax return. The corporate tax return is due six months after year end. So if your year end is May 31st, then by November 30th, um, you have to file a corporate tax return. Um, if you're late on the filing of the corporate tax return, there could be penalties. Per, uh, if you uh, if you owe tax, there, there there will be penalties that are levied. So six months after um, year end, uh, six months after year end, corporate tax return needs to be filed. Um, the catch twenty two here is that three months after year end, you have to actually have paid your tax. So although you don't have to have filed your return until November thirty first. Um, by the end of August, you actually have to pay your tax. So for all intents and purposes, although it's not a hard deadline, three months after year end is where you at least have to have an estimate or have some sort of sense of how you've done so that you can make your tax payment for the previous year. Um, aside from the corporate tax filing, there are other additional filings that you have to do. You have to do an HST return if you're, again, subject to the HST, and we're assuming you, you are. Um, that is due, the frequency of that return will depend on how big your business is. If your business is exceedingly big and your revenues are high, you may have to file an HST return every month. Um, if you're uh, big but not that big, it might be every quarter, and uh, some small suppliers get the chance to, to file um, every uh, once a year. So uh, let's assume you're starting off in business, you're doing well, but you're not, your revenues aren't particularly high. Um, in which case you'd probably be an annual filer. And in that case, if your year end is May 31st, then you've got three months after year end, by which time you have to start, uh, you have to file that first HST return. And bear in mind, missing these things by even one day can lead to some pretty serious penalties. Um, and if you've got employees um, or you pay yourself a salary, then you have to file a package for T4s. T4 reporting uh, covers all salaries paid from the business. Um, T4s are done on a calendar year basis. So um, again, you have a May 31st year end. Um, that's great, but you know you have to report all the T4s and all the salaries to, paid to your employees have to be done on a calendar year basis. So that would be for the period ending December 31st, 2019. And you have to file that T4 package by the end of February 2020. So two months after year end is when you have to file your T4s. If you don't have salary, um, but you've taken money out of your business um, as a dividend, then you have to file a separate reporting package for that um, by February 28th uh, as well. So um, be aware of these deadlines. I think, you know, Put them down, putting them down on your calendar and knowing that you do have these things coming up. They're not throughout the year. They're at specific times, but um, just working towards them and knowing what they are is very important. 
because they take sometimes they take time. You know, you can't um, you know to to do the T four reporting package. Let's say at the end of February, you you need a little bit of lead time to start uh, compiling all of the information. So um, be aware of what they are and be aware that the penalties may be fairly significant if you miss them. So I know there's a lot of uh, things we talked about. We talked about uh, how the HST works in general terms, the types of receipts you need to keep, and some of the filing deadlines. Um, might seem daunting. Um, at first it is. After a few years of being in business for yourself, these will become second nature. So um, you know, don't be put off by these requirements. Everybody li- lives with them. Everybody deals with them. Uh, and like I said, they'll, they'll become second nature to you after a while. Um, just again, be organized. Don't let these these uh, filing requirements um, be an impediment to you getting into business for yourself. Um, thank you very much. And uh, I think there's there's certainly more topics to talk about. Um, most people starting off have uh, dozens of questions. So um, I think we'll, we've dealt with three today. Um, we've dealt with three in a previous episode, and I think we'll just continue with this as we as we go along until we run out of questions to ask about uh, starting a business. Thank you. <laughs>